Hello, Internet. Vox coming at you. Episode number 13. Lucky number 13. They said it wouldn't last, Andy. <laughs> they said it wouldn't last. But here we are, 2016. We're broadcasting. And we're getting so good at this that last uh, episode, Andy put his microphone on backwards. So... <laughs> So you couldn't really hear him very well, which frankly I think is okay. I, I don't. I'm okay with you not hearing Andy at all. Um, I'm just kidding. But uh, we've set the standard for just unbelievable excellence, so people noticed. Also, um, the the words coming back, Andy, that the banter is okay. All right, it's mixed. Okay, uh, I've gotten mixed reviews of the banter, but I say, I say it it matters. I say Jesus would have engaged in witty banter or non-witty banter as, a, as in our case. Hashtag all banter matters. All banter matters. And, and the, the thing that I, I don't think people realize is that when we're in here together, I'm wearing nothing but boxers. <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm, try, I'm trying to regulate the temperature. And so we're in the home office and I'm in nothing but boxers and Andy's in a, a sweatshirt and multiple layers of hipster clothes. Uh, so it, it, it comes up, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta engage in banter in that sort of scenario. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Now, um, I am not going to the Oscars this year in protest. So I want to let people know about that. Secondly, um, I want to let people know we, we last episode, we had kind of a big announcement and, uh, the response has been, uh, the, the response of the whole sort of Vox community is amazing. We've had, People have donated eight thousand dollars. Yeah, um, over the course of the last month to this enterprise, which blows my mind. I mean, absolutely blows my mind. And 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 that goes just so you know where it goes. Like Andy gets a stipend. He's built our Vox website. He manages Subversive Kingdom. Uh, we buy equipment. I had to file articles of incorporation for Vox Christian Community and do bylaws and all of that stuff costs money. And so your donations have enabled us to kind of build a platform to move forward with the idea of building a community out of a podcast yeah, and, and having, having the podcast community be the community, but have a local expression of the podcast community. And so there are about 300 of you who have signed up on a www.vox oc.com right at the uh you moved it to the top i like that yeah i did i originally on the last podcast we say go to the bottom of the page and i realized i'm like well, that's that's dumb is your is your microphone incorrectly today yes it okay. is okay um so sometimes i'm not you can say that you've got it fixed i'm not sure uh i don't know how any of this works and so he's saying it's at the top of uh voxoc.com but you got to put w's in or, or, or it says website under development. Um, and, uh, and what we're going to do with your emails, we're going to sell it to third party marketers. Yep. Yep. Um, and, uh, hopefully you'll get some, uh, some emails from, from people trying to sell you all sorts of prescription drugs. Now, what we're going to do is we're actually going to be, be providing details as they become clear to us about the particulars, what, when, why, how, um, your, your donations, of course, are always welcome. Those aren't, that's not income to me. That's actually uh, providing infrastructure. And so uh, I want you to know that for sure. But I also want to let you know, um, that we are super excited about this. We see, uh, this is a really interesting opportunity to explore kind of frontiers about what church is and, and what, a, you know, we're calling it Vox Christian community because the church is part of that, but it's bigger 
than just a local expression. So uh, if, if you want to get your name on that, that's fantastic. But today, Andy, today we're going to talk about Jesus and politics part three. Okay. And maybe that'll be the last Jesus and politics one for a while. All right. I'm, it over, is, I'm over the politics. So oh my God. I know. And it. It's only January. I know. We, we've got like <laughs> 10 more November. months. Um, uh, and I, I want to talk about the rapture. So make sure you put that in, in, in how the rapture, whether or not you believe that affects your view of politics, perhaps. So, so here's what I want to do. I want to, it's a little teachy again, and I'm sorry about that, Andy. I'm sorry about that. Um, uh, but, but what I want to do is I want to, I want to talk about the way Jesus presented his kingdom on the earth. And then draw out some implications of that for how do we hold intention the following two things that we've been trying to get our hands around kind of in the political sphere. Number one, uh, that following Jesus is a political act. That is a political act that has ramifications in the political sphere. And we're not going to back away from that. We're not going to apologize for that. It also has ramifications for how we're political. Uh, and in what manner we conduct ourselves as citizens of a democracy. I mean, that's that's huge, and we'll come back to that. But that's one side of the tension, is following Jesus is political, we're called to be engaged politically. The other side of the tension is the recognition that politics can never be our hope, our source of trust, our sense of security, uh, and that every and all political system, including our own, is is fundamentally flawed and does not address the core problems of human life. And you have to hold both of these in view that it matters what we do, but it doesn't matter ultimately. <laughs> and so, so I want to, I want to flesh that out a little bit. So I want to go back to the gospels where Jesus comes and he comes with this announcement. And, it, and it's so clear uh, in the synoptic uh, gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, nope. That's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, John calls uh, the kingdom of God eternal life. And so it's a, a slightly different take on it. But, but the message of Jesus in the earliest gospels um, is recorded as being repent or reorder your life because the kingdom of God or the kingdom of the heavens is now right here next to you. And that the kingdom of God was the summary form of all of the hopes of Old Testament Israel, that God would reclaim his place as rightful king, not only over Israel, but of the earth, and that the nations would be drawn into the worship of the one true God by the conduct of God's people. So Jesus comes announcing that this thing is now present in his person. It's right next to you because he's here. But he announces it in a really strange way. He announces that it's here and it's still coming. And that both of those are true simultaneously. So all over the Gospels, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. If I cast out demons by the finger of God, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is right here. You don't have to go look for it. It's right here in your midst. And Jesus talks about the kingdom of God as something that's going to come in the future. He talks about the coming again of the Son of Man, or he talks about at that day there'll be judgment, or he talks about, um, uh, he gives a parable at the end of Luke uh, to people who think that the kingdom of God is coming all at once, or uh, in, in the book of Acts, the last question his disciples ask her, are you going to restore the kingdom now to Israel? And even some of the core messianic promises of the Old Testament, the Prince of Peace and universal shalom, those things aren't fulfilled. And, and so you have this parable paradox that the New Testament writers represent 
Uh, and, and they articulate very well, namely, that on the one hand, the kingdom has come, Jesus is currently reigning and ruling over the earth, and at the same time, we have a real enemy, uh, and there is real evil, and there is real darkness in the human hearts, and there is a real fall that taints everything, and that sin and death are still afoot on the world to be put down, ultimately, when Jesus comes again. So, it's here, but it's not fully here. It's it's already, but not yet. Or as one person, one Jewish uh, thinker says it, it, it's already and yet more. There, so, so sometimes you'll hear words of like um, uh, inaugurated eschatology is what this is called. That, that God has inaugurated the end of the age right in the middle of this one. That the future has come into the present in the form of Jesus and the pouring out of his spirit on his people that we're now a foretaste or an appetizer of what is to come. So, on the one hand, and this explains a great many Christian sort of paradoxes, because on the one hand, it, it, it enables us to both simultaneously confirm that we are saints who sin, right? The scripture says we are saints, uh, that Jesus has uh, covered the, the, the price of our sin, uh, that we're no longer slaves to sin, that there's no condemnation in Christ. And yet, um, already in the midst of this podcast, I've probably sinned five or six times. And certainly you have because I'm wearing nothing but boxers. And so, um, and so, so, so the kingdom's here. So we're, we're redeemed, we're forgiven, we're righteous, but the kingdom's not yet. Meaning we're still working that out in process. Why do Christians uh, celebrate? Uh, because the kingdom's here. Why do we lament and grieve? Because it's not here in its fullness, right? So, the, so, so when it comes to politics, you you have folks who think that we can build the kingdom now through political action, either on the conservative or the liberal side, or we have folks that say, "Hey, the world's going to burn, so it doesn't matter, and we can't do anything." Right. Neither of those views is true in the way that the, the, the gospel writers and the, and the New Testament writers hold this tension together. The kingdoms come, so we work for shalom, we work for justice, we work for equality. We have the resources of God's kingdom to sit in and to offer. Uh, and at the same time, we realize that even the best of our efforts won't usher in the kingdom. So I want to explore if that already but not yet thing is true i want to explore how that works out politically you with me so far andy i am there no no i'm not (laughs) no i'm not my best analogy of this as you're explaining this yes is i am imagining walking by your poolside and i happen to have uh dropped a bocce ball that i might be holding and it's fallen into the water okay and i reach my arm down in to grab it right and my arm is in the water in the pool, right, but right. it's also outside the pool at the same time. Mm, I don't know. Because I would push you in. If I saw that happening, I I would run over and just push you in. So, yes, um, I don't know that there's a perfect analogy in, in the sense that it's fully here. Yep. Your arm's fully wet. Right. Well, that's, that, that's just it. You see, the pool's in the backyard. And it's all conclusive. And the bocce ball is humanity that also exists in the entire backyard, but it's in the water and it's still in this location at the same time. I have no idea what I... Well, Andy, uh, I We can end the podcast now. I I pretty much explained the whole thing. Yes. Or, as what I was going to say, um, 
I think people realize why well, you're not the star of this show. I think people have just understood why <laughs> your job is to just disagree. Now, um, so what you have is you've got you've got this already not yet thing, um, and and there are two tensions uh, or two sides of attention we have to we have to hold in politics that this kingdom of Jesus and we've tried to make this point calls into question every version of the kingdoms of the world. The American version, the Iraqi version, the British version, the Canadian version, my self-interested version. There isn't one expression of the kingdom of the world that does justice to the kingdom of God. Even at its best, even, even if we say democracy is like the best worst option, but that still doesn't mean it escapes the critique of, of what the kingdom of God embodies in its upside down nature. But... And, and by the way, uh, it, it also means that politically, there's only so much good politics can achieve. Jesus locates the source of unclean, not in terms of ritual, things that you eat. And this was very radical, of course, because in the Old Testament, it, you were contaminated or considered unclean if you uh, touch something um, and were contaminated in that way. Jesus sort, sort of redefines this and he says no no no, guys guys what makes you unclean is what comes out of your heart not what goes into your body and he was talking about food there but he gives examples of murder and strife and sexual morality and whatever and so jesus of nazareth locates the core issue of the, uh, of of humanity in the human heart and no matter how much so to our liberal friends or at least our stereotypical liberal friends we would say listen no matter how much government you make no matter how many uh, programs you create, no matter how much education you provide, you still cannot fundamentally address the core problems of the human heart. We can alleviate the symptoms of sin, poverty. We can alleviate hunger. We can alleviate uh, uh, preventable diseases. And all of that should be done in the name of Jesus. No question about it. But at the same time, we cannot believe the lie that if we just had more, that if the liberal vision of, of the power and role of government held sway that somehow the core issues of the human heart would be dealt with. No, no. Cornelius Plantiga, which it, first of all is a great name, but secondly, has a phenomenal quote. He's a philosopher. He said, um, evil contaminates every scalpel designed to remove it. Evil contaminates every scalpel designed to remove it. And that's true. That's true. That's why the worst evils are done in the name of religion. Religion being the answer to evil, well, it gets twisted and it gets corrupted itself, right? So, so Jesus comes and he's critiquing the religion, uh, at least of how it was practiced, um, that, that his own father had inaugurated, you know, thousands of years earlier. So, so to our liberal friends, we say the kingdom is not here in its fullness. We cannot usher it in. Um, uh, our battle is not against flesh and blood. You know, like there, there is such a thing as systemic evil, no question about it. But I also believe there's such a thing as personal evil. And I don't mean the um, individual human kind. I, I do believe uh, that there are things like angels and demons. And the reason I believe them is not because I'm some superstitious freak, but uh, I follow this rabbi who said that those things are real. <laughs> and so... As much as I kind of go, really, um, I, I not only believe in them, but I've, I've experienced 
the reality of this sort of spiritual warfare and and in ways that would make really really good movies and and so so when we're when we're talking about how do we remedy the human condition you you can't at least from the christian point of view you cannot exclude jesus and have any hope uh, of success so so more education more political activism more whatever simply isn't going to cure the core condition of the human heart all right so so that's what it means to say the kingdom's not here in its fullness yet there is no universal shalom. There, there is still sin and death and fallenness and evil. There, there, there is still this temptation in our hearts to trust in chariots and tanks and weapons and homeland defense, um, even as Christ followers. And, and so when Jesus comes and he comes critiquing our politics, I think he comes critiquing our insistence that more, that there's a better kingdom of the world out there, that if we just could find it, uh, it would alleviate our problems. And if the liberal vision had its way, then things would be just fine. And, and, and certainly he critiques the conservative side too, right? If we had tiny government and, and huge individual freedom and an unbelievably free market uh, capitalization and, and a very minimal government interference and regulation, is that is that going to look like the kingdom either? Well, no, of course not. So on the one hand, because the kingdom's not here, we can't build it. That's something Jesus promised he would do. We we can, and I'm, I'm going to get to this like other part of the tension in just a moment. We, we can embody it. We can build from it and for it, but we cannot build it. Yeah. That's only Jesus does that because only Jesus uh, deals with not only the systemic evils of human society, in his ethical teaching, but he deals with the individual evils of the human heart. So, so that's one big point. Are you, am I over making this point yet? No, I don't think so. Okay. Well, I, I it, it takes, it takes some work to, to get your head around it. It's so. like a bocce ball in go. a pool. Come on. Okay. So on the other hand, um, there are those who say, well, if point number one is true, namely the kingdom's not here and only Jesus can bring it, then screw it. Any political work we do is just rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. And so let's just save souls and get them into heaven. Yeah. Right? Why Why worry about alleviating hunger? Why worry about clean water? Because that's not addressing the core problem of the human heart, Mike. You just said that doesn't address the core problem of the human heart. Right? right? right. So to those people, we're going to spend more time on this. Because I think this is, at least uh, as I grew up, in the, um, uh, I'm just going to mumble uh, the the 80s um, and and uh, the 90s, and um, there there was a deep and pervasive view that God's salvation was getting human beings off of earth and into heaven, and, and that is why creation care was was considered a liberal concern. That was why uh, personal sense of vocation, nope, you're just biding time because we're just passing through. Uh, that was why um, uh, th there was a sense, even though you know the moral majority, so-called, was exercising great political power, many, many of us just were, thought it was a waste of time. I mean, what an ugly thing. So 
uh, I want to address a, a, a little more systematically in teaching and from the Bible, this idea that somehow the earth is just, it, it's, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And then uh, Jesus is going to come and clean it up. And anything we do politically is a waste of time. Because that's not true either. Because the kingdom is here. Right. And we're called to embody it. Um, to, to, to show it and to display the beauty of living under the rule and reign of Jesus. So, uh, there is a, uh, what I've come to believe and, and boy, oh my goodness, we're going to get in trouble here. Okay. But it's, it's podcast number 13. So That's I think right. if you it's, it's the unlucky podcast. Either this is the last podcast we ever do, or it's the beginning or it's the beginning of a whole new thing. That's right. Um, so, so there is this view called, um, oh yeah. Pre-tribulation, pre-millennial dispensationalism, which Holy cow, is that a, a boatload? But it, it's embodied in like the Left Behind series. In the, um, uh, I guess, Nick Cage. <laughs> Just, they remade one of them. You know, Kirk Cameron was There's in the two. first one. And I, I have no idea. There were a series of books that were like gazillion sellers. And it embodies this view. And, and here's, I'm not doing justice to the view. And if anyone believes this, you're going to say I'm not doing justice to the view. But I can only like summarize it in a minute. Um, that that there is uh, there is in the future something called a rapture, namely that the world is going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. There's nothing we can do about that, and, and that right before a period of seven years called the Great Tribulation, uh, Jesus appears and raptures. He takes away the followers of Jesus on the earth before the seven years of great tribulation where this antichrist reveals uh, himself partway through the three and a half three and a half years and there's another three and a half years and then what happens uh is that there's a, this literal seven-year period while the church is is with Jesus in heaven and and things get so bad and there are all these trials and tribulations as described in the book of Revelation where God is just pouring out his wrath then Jesus returns, and that's called the second coming. And Jesus comes back with his church. He comes victorious. He comes as a butt kicker. He comes as a righteous judge. Um, and he inaugurates a, a, a thousand, a literal thousand year time period called the millennium. This is from Revelation 19 and 20. During which time, uh, the great Satan, our adversary, is bound. Jesus rules and reigns from Jerusalem with his church, ethnic Israel. Um, is repenting. Uh, and then at the end of the literal thousand years, Satan is released. Satan and the demons and whoever still is ungodly wage war against Jesus in this great battle of Armageddon. And then uh, the end of the age closes with judgment and boom. The unrighteous are sent off to eternal torment. The righteous are sent uh, to eternal bliss with Jesus. So that's the common view. That's the left behind view. And I don't want to get into all the particulars. We'll, we'll do a series at some point on Revelation and how um, abused I think the book is. But I want to talk about this idea of rapture because implicit in the teaching of this form of dispensationalism is that it's going to get worse and worse and worse. There's nothing you can do about it. But don't worry, Jesus is going to get you out of here so that you escape the worst of it. And that where we live forever is really in heaven with Jesus. Now, there are more progressive forms of this view, uh, but I'm going to critique the popular one. Um, 
because in terms of, and remember the point we're making, the point we're making is what we do here matters. The kingdom has come here and what we do here matters. So there is a biblical legitimacy and part of partnering with God is political activism, caring for justice, caring for widows and orphans, uh, caring for illegal immigrants. I mean, that whole strain that, that some conservatives call the social gospel is just called the outworkings of the real gospel. Namely, the kingdom's here and we're to embody it and welcome everyone to the party. Now, the rapture, Andy, is based primarily on uh, two verses. One in 1 Thessalonians 4, one in Matthew, um, and, and it has parallels in Luke. So, 1 Thessalonians is thought to be uh, the first and earliest letter of the Apostle Paul. So maybe maybe in the 50s, some, some estimate. So we're talking 20 years uh, after Jesus. And, and, and there seems to be some sort of question in this community about what happens to people who die when Jesus comes back and or what happens to people who are alive when Jesus comes back. And scholars will debate which is the pressing question here, because Paul seems to answer both. So I'm going to read the, the pertinent section. He says, brothers and sisters, we, so Paul and his companions that had planted this church there, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of humanity who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus all those who have fallen asleep in him. In other words, death isn't the final word. Because Jesus has risen from the dead, all of those in Jesus will rise from the dead as well. And and rise from the dead, by the way, to to this culture didn't mean live in heaven. Resurrection always meant physical embodied existence on earth. That's what it meant. It didn't mean some spiritual existence elsewhere. It was always physical embodied existence on earth. So Paul says, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive when Jesus comes back, we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them, the dead in Christ, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now notice... This is the predominant text used. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say where they go. It just says they meet him in the air. And it says, and so we will be with the Lord forever. But it doesn't say where. It just says that we will meet him in the air. Now, Andy, this, oh, this is such good stuff. So, so, so our left behind brothers and sisters will look at this and say, see, the idea is that Jesus comes, we are sucked out of the earth, we go with him to heaven, boom, we're raptured. And, and, and the, 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 the image in the Left Behind books was just clothes that were folded, you know, this, this, this quasi weird experience where uh, people on airplanes would disappear and people in cars would disappear and no one knew what was happening. The problem is that's not, you're, you're reading something into the text that isn't there. 
First of all, where we'll be with God forever clearly is portrayed in Peter and in Revelation and in Isaiah as part of a new heavens and a new earth. So resurrection isn't life in heaven. It's an embodied physical existence on a new earth. And the word new there is a renewed earth. It's not a, it's not a, a start from scratch earth. The word new, there are two words for new, and the word he uses here is the one that means renewed. So that's the first problem. The second, the second issue is uh, th- this, this idea that we will be caught up. Uh, the word doesn't mean to, to fly away. The word just means to be claimed or to be seized, which is an interesting word. And uh, this idea that we go out to meet the Lord in the air. Now, the word meet is a very interesting Greek word. It's a word that is a technical, it's not, a, it's not an Old Testament word. It's a political word. It's a Caesar word. Because what you would do when a, when a king would come back to the king's city or the, a, a dignitary would visit uh, a city in the empire is that you would send a delegation out to greet the king and to escort the king into the city. That's what you would do. You would meet the king outside the city gates, outside the city walls, and escort the king back into the city. So the word meet is the technical word for this kind of delegation. All right? And, and you don't have to take my word for this. There is so much scholarship behind this. Um, that that it's the receiving of a dignitary outside the city gates and the escorting of somebody back. So here's the idea that Paul's painting, and it's totally consistent with uh, with Revelation and with First Peter or Second Peter, Peter, as we shall call him. That that what what is what Paul's describing here is the delegation of Jesus lovers who meet Jesus and those dead in Christ and escort Jesus back to earth. It never says you fly away. It never says you go back to heaven. It says you're with the Lord forever. Where? On the renewed earth. So the idea is that is that in some way, and in the air here doesn't mean in the oxygen. In the air is a sphere of authority. Okay, so when Paul will talk about, like in Ephesians, he'll say the prince of the power of the air. He doesn't mean, when he's talking about the Satan, he doesn't mean the, the prince of oxygen. He means there's an authority. This is a sphere of authority that Jesus now is going to claim for himself in very practical, real terms. It's his already. And that his church is going to come off of the earth to escort him back to it as you would a visiting king. Or the resident king that's coming back from a long trip. So in other words, we probably don't fly. I believe I can fly. I believe I can touch the sky. All right. Now, there, there'll be all sorts of answers to this. But I think this is... Un- or there's one other reading of this that should be mentioned. That, that there are some people that think um, that, that what, we're, what we're describing here... Um, is uh, almost purely symbolic. A, a trumpet, um, a, the archangel, like these are very, these are very uh, uh, clearly Old Testament images that have to do with judgment and glory. And so there's some thought to that. I, I don't know where I am on that. I just know uh, that I, I don't think this teaches what people think it teaches. Uh, and, and so, but the minute you say, I'm not sure I believe in a, in a rapture, 
uh, there's a whole segment of Christianity that just goes, well, you're a heretic. They've, they've made it a gospel issue. And you're like, no, no, this is ridiculous. Come on. So Matthew 24, um, there, there is this, uh, this teaching, and this one is used a lot too. This is Jesus talking about uh, the destruction of the temple. And, and oh my goodness, we could have a field day uh, with this one. So he says, but about that day or hour, okay, he's talking about the coming of the Son of Man, which is this interesting phrase from the book of Daniel. About that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood in Noah, people were eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage. Up until the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill, uh, one will be taken and the other left. Now, so this is the idea of being left behind, right? But notice, so the analogy is with the days of Noah, that human life was just ordinary. And God decided to judge it. And it was a sudden judgment. They didn't see it coming. And, and he, he says, Jesus says, that up until the day Noah the end of the ark, they, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. So being taken in the flood was a bad thing. Being left was a good thing. So when Jesus gives this image... This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. The, the dispensational crew will say, no, 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 the taken is we're raptured up to heaven. No, the parallel is that the taken are the ones who are judged. The ones who are left are the ones who are righteous. So being left behind in this case is a really good thing. And if you don't believe this interpretation, you got to flip over to the book of Luke. And Luke gives the parallel passage to this. Now, we're going to come back to politics. We are absolutely going to come back to politics. But let's go to Luke. Good grief. I wish we could just stick on this. <laughs> I know. And we will someday. Oh. Someday, my friend. Oh, where where is it in Luke? Let's see. Is it 19? Uh, just give me a moment. Andy, just sing something if you would. I believe I can fly. <laughs> I believe I can touch the sky. Now you gotta you gotta sing it like you mean it, like you're a rock star, bro. <laughs> All right, Luke 17. Um let's see here. Just and, and you'll recognize this. This is this is uh Luke 17. Just as in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, being given in marriage up till the day. Uh, Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day Lot left uh, Sodom, uh, Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. So he gives two examples of judgment. This will be, th it will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on a housetop with possessions uh, should go down and get them. No one in the field should go back and get anything. Remember Lot's wife. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in bed. In one bed, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken, the other left. Now, Jesus doesn't say, 
he, 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 if Jesus is talking about heaven, okay, the disciples immediately, verse 37 of that chapter, say, where, Lord, where will they be taken? And Jesus answers, where there is a dead body, there the vultures gather. So does that sound like heaven to you? No, no. He's talking about judgment. Now, some people will say this verse is actually uh, referring to the coming of the Roman army in AD 70. And one of their practices was to arbitrarily select people to crucify. Uh, so they would just go through a village or a city and they would just, so, so we have records of them crucifying 2,000 people at a time, 4,000 people at a time. Uh, and, and that they would be random in this. We, there's some evidence to believe that they would be random in this and that they would then bury the bodies in mass graves. Uh, they would not give the dignity of an individual burial. They would just put them in mass graves. And so how would you find the mass grave? Well, all the vultures would gather. So that's how some understand this. But even if you don't understand it that way, being taken is bad clearly in both of these verses. So my personal opinion is this rapture idea has utterly nothing to stand on biblically. I think it's a pernicious, good word, teaching in the church that has caused Christians, well-meaning, Jesus-loving Christians, to believe that, that this whole place is going to burn and it doesn't matter anyway. Another verse they'll point to is, uh, is a verse in Peter, uh, 2 Peter where uh, the day of the Lord will come like a thief, the heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. And so the, the idea is, well, see, the earth's going to be destroyed. The problem with that is destroyed doesn't mean annihilated. In fact, Peter uses this same word a couple of verses earlier when he talks about Noah. He says, by the waters of the flood, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. Now, the world wasn't destroyed. It was cleansed. It was purified. That's the image Peter's giving. See, what Jesus does to renew the earth is he purifies it. Everything that's good, true, beautiful, and holy goes forward, Paul teaches. Our good deeds carry forward. Uh, and Paul uses this image of a foundation. If you build on that foundation with certain kind of stones, it survives the fire. Uh, if you buy with cheap material that gets burned up, you're through, but just as one who made it through flames, right? So the idea that Peter and Jesus and Paul, there is a renewal coming of everything. There is a great judgment coming when everything will be laid bare. The word for laid bare is the word we get, uh, a word that we use to get the word eureka. It means we discover what was actually true. So all the posing we did, all the false motives, all of that is exposed for what it is. And the, the stuff that's true and good and beautiful and of God carries forward and the rest of it is burned away. But it's not destroyed in the sense of just totally annihilated. It's renewed. It's purified. So to those Christians who say we're just passing through, the world's going to burn anyway, there's nothing we can do except get people to heaven. You've got some problems because number one, the kingdom is here. Jesus said the kingdom is here and we must reorder our lives around it. What does reordering our life around the kingdom look like, Jesus? Well, it doesn't mean getting your ticket to heaven. 
It means very clearly loving the widow and the orphan and the poor. It means forgiving your enemy and blessing those who persecute you. It means displaying this father's scandalous love and grace. He, he shows sunshine and rain to the godly and the ungodly. You're to love like that too. Be merciful as your father is merciful. It works itself out in all kinds of good deeds. Let your light shine so that people will see your good deeds. Peter says... Live such good lives among unbelievers that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they might be ashamed of their slander, right? I mean, so it works itself out. Being a kingdom citizen works itself out in good deeds. You cannot separate it. You cannot separate it. Faith and works are utterly intertwined, as James says. So on the one hand, we dare not believe that the work of God is hindered by somebody we don't agree with sitting in the White House or somebody getting a new Supreme Court justice. We, our views of the kingdom of the world, well, yes, my, my, my view of the kingdom of the world might be hindered by so-and-so in the White House or so-and-so on the Supreme Court. But that's not the kingdom of God and that's not the, the work of Jesus. You can make the case that the best work of Jesus is always done when the state opposes it. But that's a different, that's a different podcast. How much time do we have? I'm wrapping up. He just gave me the five sign or he said, hi, I'm not sure which. <laughs> oh, have you been talking for 30 minutes? I know. I just seriously check back in. Oh, <laughs> so I know I get going. I'm sorry. But I think this is so critically important because I used to be, I used to be a left behind fan. I mean, when I was in college, this book came out. Um, oh, shoot. I don't remember what it was, but it was by a guy named Hal Lindsey who helped write the Left Behind series. And I was like, whoa. He was making the case Jesus was returning in the 80s, 40 years after Israel became a nation in 1948. And every and we know society peaked in the 80s, so maybe Jesus did and we just didn't know. But I suspect that he was wrong, and one of the reasons he was wrong uh, is because it's a flawed theology. It's built on a flawed worldview. That the that the 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 energy of the gospels is not on getting human beings off the earth and into heaven. It's God coming to the earth. It's heaven and earth joining, right? Which is the end of the book of Revelation. That God comes, dwells among his people in a new earth, that, that the new heaven and the new earth join together as God now lives among his people forever. And so that on the one hand, we say, listen, it doesn't matter how much education, it doesn't, doesn't matter how much security or homeland defense or how many missiles we've got and nukes or who's in the White House or who's in the Supreme Court uh, or, or how much, many entitlement programs we need. All of those things are dealing with symptoms rather than roots. That doesn't mean they're unimportant. It just means we dare not trust. And what I'm trying to deal with in this series is the energy that sits behind our political debates that causes us so much anger and so much hatred and so much contempt and so much name calling. But on the other hand, there's work to do that what we do here matters. And though we can't build the kingdom, we can work for it and with it and partner with Jesus in alleviating the symptoms of sin. And so, yes, does Jesus, does it matter to Jesus if kids are fed? Yes, it does. It absolutely does. Does it matter about clean drinking water? Does it matter if people are sold into sexual slavery? Does it matter uh, in terms of, of how we structure businesses so that they're fair um, and that they can make a profit? I mean, of course, all of that matters. So the, the big goal of this little diatribe has been to show how the already and not yet 
kind of works itself out in me. So because people will say, well, how do you vote? Right. I try not to be a one issue candidate. I, I know lots of people that are. They'll say, hey, the abortion issue is the deal breaker for me. So I will vote Republican every single time. Other people will say it's the greed of the Republicans or the militarism of the Republicans. That's the deal breaker for me. I, I think the church needs to get out of the business of telling people how to vote or assigning Christian candidate labels to different candidates. I mean, I, it just is absurd. I, I think we can disagree very, very well around what policy issues best represent kingdom interests. Absolutely. And, and personally, I see some on the Democrat side and I see some on the Republican side. And you can argue, well, some trump others, but now we're in a different sort of discussion. To me, I want to rob the, 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 the poisonous and toxic atmosphere around our political binaries by simply reminding us that on the one hand, it matters what we do. We're called, uh, and that manifests itself to be uh, a good citizen of the kingdom of God, and that manifests itself in good deeds and political activism. But to not put our hope there and to not put our trust there and to recognize there, yes, we can deal with degrees of systemic evil and structural evil, but there's individual evil that resides in all of us that uh, forgiveness, love, grace, transformation, the gospel of Jesus aims to address as well as the structural stuff. So, so in that tension, I think, is some sort of health, some sort of perspective, some sort of able to bless whoever's in office. You know, so so does the kingdom of God, do we stop being good people when Obama's in office or Hillary's in office or Donald Trump's in office or whatever? I have my preferences. Oh, believe me. I, I Some of this stuff I'm hearing, I can hardly stand. But what that, it does not cause me to do is to spend my Facebook and social media time campaigning or to make sure I alienate everybody who doesn't agree with me, right? There, there's a sense, and I'll end with this. You can be right politically and still be a jerk and you're not honoring Jesus. End of the story. Dallas Willard has this great line. He says, which is better to be right or to be Christ-like? Now, immediately people will say that's a false dichotomy. Immediately. And then Willard had this great rejoinder. He said, it's hard to be right and not hurt someone with that fact. And so we have to, we have to come to believe that we, we all need convictions. We all need to stand up we, that, that Jesus is Lord. Absolutely. But that list is so short about the things we'll die for and the hills we'll fight on. And so brothers and sisters, as always, thank you, thank you, thank you for giving us access into your life. We're so privileged. So if you're in the car, if you're at work, you're at the gym where I should be. If if you're uh, we we we're hearing of small groups that meet together, yeah, and listen to this, yeah, and and we're sad about that because we think you you could probably find something better. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, wherever you are, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine His face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you and may he most of all give you peace in these days. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening to Vox, the Mike Geary podcast. Be sure to like Mike on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash official Mike Geary. Follow Mike on Twitter and Periscope at Mike Geary for live interaction and ongoing Q&A. 
Don't forget to visit SubversiveKingdom.com for further engagement and information about Mike.